Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to, to Los Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. <laughs> Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Cool girl alert. (laughs) (laughs) I like thought that that was gonna sound cooler in my mind before I said it. But truly, we have one of the coolest facialists on the pod today. And I'm calling her that because that's literally how every article describes you. It's like all the it girls, all the cool girls in New York (laughs) go to her for their facials. She's the fashion facialist acne whisperer. And we finally have you on Los Angeles. So welcome, Sophie Pavitt. Thank you both. I'm so happy to be here. I'm huge fan. So I'm happy to be here. Oh my gosh, we're big fans. And we've talked about your products on the pod before. So I'm glad that you're here so that people can get to learn a little bit more about you, your background, why they should use your products, besides the fact that Sarah and I just love them. And you have a very unique background, which I think is fascinating. So we're going to dive into that. But before we do anything, we got to know what's on your face. It's kind of embarrassing because I think when I start talking about skincare, I'm obviously like obsessed with it. Have you ever heard that term like the shoemaker with no shoes? Yeah. Like sometimes I feel like I am that person because I'm constantly around beauty. So when I get home, the last thing I want to do is like have an extensive routine myself, if that makes sense. Totally. I love products, but it's very rare that I have like more than three or four in one rotation. Um, I'm dry as a bone. So I really like heavier, more emollient moisturizers and cleansers. I air on like the heavier side of stuff, which is funny because I'm like building an acne brand that we'll talk about later. But I like really greasy things. So I usually start with something like Adam, like the Adam cleansing balm I really love. I think that that's a really beautiful balm. And then I'll go into Clean Clean, which is my gel cleanser. I love the more richer moisturizers. I really love the U Beauty Super Hydrator and those like mm. really like rich parky shea formulations. I like the Total Package Moisturizer from Epilogic. Did you guys try that? I don't think I did. No. It's so nice. It's really pretty and it smells weird. It's like a sciencey smell, <laughs> but it's got like this really lovely finish. I really like growth factors and things like that. I'm not really a retinol girl. I'm more into growth factors and things like that, but I also do a lot of in house treatments. I like like a really hardcore peel every few months and I'll do a laser once a year and things like that. So I always say like I'm more into like treatment vibes than having like a really extensive skincare routine. In terms of makeup, I like barely use makeup. I like a lip. I'm using the road lip glosses like everyone else in the world. They're great. <laughs> I always go and get my eyebrows like threaded and dyed so I don't have to worry about them and I stick my eyelashes on. So I'll put the work in for a treatment so I don't have to do as much at home. Totally. It seems like you also put in more work at one moment in order to get a payoff, like a lamination or a tinting or whatever, or like mm-hmm. putting on the eyelashes or whatever it is. I feel like that's kind of 
what the vibe is lately, at least on TikTok. People are really focused on like these bigger, more bang for your buck treatments versus having to do something consistently every single day for like 30 minutes or whatever. It's like a long game investment. Yeah. And everyone's busy. Sophie's mom of two. Like, we don't have time. We don't have time. We just want to like wake up and look good and then put on the lip gloss and the sunscreen and head out the door. Path of least resistance. You know, even my (laughs) Botox, I've like upgraded to Daxify so I don't have to go as much. You tried Daxify. I've been scared because it's it's indicated to last longer. So I want to know more. Does it feel any different? Have you had any issues? No. And you know, I really trust my injector. It's my boss. I work at Center Aesthetic and Dermatology in Union Square a couple of days a week. And Lynn Wojtan is the injector there. And she's always done my injection. So she knows my skin and my face very intimately. So I felt very comfortable going for like a longer term injectable with her. They put a lot more in. So like you put a little unit or two of Botox in, it doesn't, it's like kind of a, and then it's done. The Daxify is like, you know, it's like really good. (laughs) I don't know what you're doing right now, but it looked great. And I like it. I'm due for a little bit more, but, but I really liked it. How long did it last? I had it done in May and you can see that I'm getting a little movement back now. So I'll probably go in December. See, that's fascinating. It is indicated, I believe for 15 months, but I think that's best case scenario where you're able to prolong it as long as possible. But I think the benefit of Daxify, the point is you don't have to go in every two months. I know girls that are going in every two months because their Botox or whatever isn't lasting as long as it used to, especially as they've gotten older. So I think that's really interesting. I'm not a medical director at all. I'm not a medical provider, but I work within that kind of realm. And it's, it's so interesting to see how people respond differently to injectables. Like, even if you work out a lot, it doesn't last as long, which is a great excuse, in my opinion. Like, I don't want to work out. (laughs) I don't want to work out either. But as I've gotten older, I've learned that working out can change everything. I know. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. Listen, that's the plight we're on. It's like you want health. It's not even for vanity anymore. It's literally I want to be able to have muscle memory and be able to like walk in 20 years without like falling and breaking my hip. You know what I mean? Like that's where I'm at now. It's not even a vanity thing. It's like, I just want to feel strong and good and healthy. Okay. So we need to talk about your history, your career. Sophie, when you were here in LA like months ago, I had no idea like your incredible career, all of the jobs that you've had. And you shared that you used to work in fashion. One of your very first jobs was at Abercrombie. (laughs) You were like, what? You said you were like 20 or something like that? Yeah. And you just packed your bags and moved here. So we need to talk about that, like how you started in fashion and then your transition to facials. But tell us a little bit about working for Abercrombie during his heyday. I know it was like a really problematic place, obviously. Like we know that now. But at the time, it was my ticket out of Wales. You know, I like lived in Wales. I went to college in Bristol, which is really pretty close by. And I just had like this burning desire to just get out of there. (laughs) And when I graduated college, it was 2004. There really wasn't that many jobs out there for graduates, especially in fashion, like London and the UK was teeming with fashion graduates. And so I got this little email from somebody at Abercrombie and they were like, hey, we saw your final 
student collection at London Graduate Fashion Week. We'd love to interview you. And I'm like, I've never even heard of Abercrombie at this point, you know? And I was like, sure. So they flew me out to Ohio. I did a project for them. They loved it. And they offered me the job on the spot. And I was 20 years old. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll sign it. And I signed the contract. I remember calling my mum, and it was like eight o'clock in Ohio. So it must be like one in the morning in the UK. And I was like, mom, I'm, I got the job. I'm going to move to Ohio in two weeks. And she was just like, oh my God, she was so upset. That was <laughs> 20 years ago. And so I'm still here. Abercrombie at that point in 2004, as you know, was just like such a household name in the US. I had no idea. And so I arrive in Ohio. It's like such a moment in time. It's 2004. Everybody's wearing it in high school. It's such a hot brand. And like, you could really feel the energy working there that it was just like this, this moment, you know? And it was really cool. It was a great experience. I got a lot of experience for a 20-year-old, like jumping into like a corporate fashion brand. It was, it was pretty intense. <laughs> Do you remember anything in particular that you designed that Kirby and I probably were wearing <laughs> as little eighth graders? <laughs> so I worked on the Hollister line. I did like all the accessories. Loved Hollister. So like if you ever had like a pair of underwear from Hollister or sleep, winter wear belts flip-flops totes those like canvas totes or distressed seagulls all over them i i was responsible for all of those (laughs) that's pretty amazing wow that's amazing can i just correct you we were not in eighth grade in 2004 oh we were in high school we were like about to graduate high school babes i was like i don't know if you've been lying to me about your age this whole time (laughs) but i was certainly like getting it and the reason why i say that is because Abercrombie obviously was like a big thing for us in middle school. Right. But like, I think I've even mentioned this on this podcast before. I had girlfriends that had older boyfriends in high school that worked at Abercrombie Mm -hmm. and they were like giving them free stuff. It was like insane. I would have loved to know the lost reports at Abercrombie (laughs) in like 2003, 2004. It must have been insane because it's kind of what drunk elephants going through right now. They were expensive clothes and kids couldn't afford them. So they were probably just trying to like steal what they could. It's like you go to Ulta, you see drunk elephant boxes like strewn across the place because the children can't afford them. You know what I mean? Do you know what's so amazing as well? The quality of Abercrombie and Fitch in 2004 cannot be emulated these days. They did like triple applique with like leather patches. Like it was super high quality. Yeah. It's so interesting to see like how... Even now, like Gen Z is like really into like vintage Abercrombie. I'm like, yeah, it's lasted 20 years because it was all beautiful. I don't know how they afforded it. And that makes sense. Even though it did look rugged. I remember my dad is like, I'm not buying you holy jeans. Why do you want those jeans with the holes? Yeah. (laughs) You know, like I'm not paying a hundred and something dollars for holy jeans or whatever. And I'm like, dad, that's the style. But they were made very, very well. They were built to last. Totally. I remember I had a pair of holy jeans from Hollister and I literally wore them until the rip in my butt cheek, like underneath my butt was like so big that like you could (laughs) see my underwear. And I was like, all right, I got to retire these. But I wore them for so long. I distinctly remember we had like Abercrombie and Fitch was like at one end of the Mission Viejo Mall. And then like at the other end was the Hollister. And I always went to the two. It's funny to me that Sarah was so into Abercrombie. I mean, yes, we were we're the same age. So like, obviously, we were influenced by very similar things. But I would think living in Southern California would change for me. I wanted to shop at Abercrombie, not just because everybody was shopping there, but because it had this 
SoCal vibe to it, especially Hollister. I was like, I want to move to California. I want to move to LA. Like, I obviously didn't realize that Laguna Beach was not Los Angeles. So I like grouped those things together. So the fact that you, Sarah, were like, even like remotely interested in this vibe, like having lived here, it really shows the impact of the brand overall. And let's talk about fragrance. I mean, you all remember. Yeah. Abercrombie Woods. It's so evocative of that time for me. If I smell it, I'm like instantly transported to head office. They would pump it through the office. So you would just smell that smell everywhere you went. It was like just part of my life for like three years. You probably went home and were like, I can't get away from this fragrance. I smell like it. I didn't even put it on. Yeah, it was next level. Sophie, so when you say Ohio, did they have the big campus? Yeah, Columbus, Ohio. Can you talk about this campus? Because it's like akin to like the Apple campus or like Google campus. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. And it's in the middle of the forest in Albany. And so what tends to happen is everybody lives in Columbus and then you drive like 40 minutes to work every day. And you get there, and I'm not making this up, everybody would be head to toe Abercrombie. And in 2004, I didn't even have eyebrows. I was like a little goth from London. I used to like shave my eyebrows off. I used to pencil them in. I had no business working there, basically. I'd be like head to toe black. Like all the merchants would come in in like mini skirts, leg warmers, and flip flops in like the dead of winter in Ohio and just, you know, trundle up the path, like hop on into like head office. It was so funny. But they'd be like razor scooters. So you would like get on a razor scooter and like go to each meeting because it would be like these vast like areas to walk. To. Yeah, it was it was nuts. What a time. It's like tech because they want you to be happy. They want you to stay on campus as long as possible to like keep working. That is crazy. It was. It was like a pre-tech boom tech office. I am curious. Do you shop at Abercrombie now? You don't? No. <laughs> Sophie. I'm literally obsessed with Abercrombie. I have heard that it looks pretty good right now. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, go in my closet. Every single pair of jeans I have. Really? Abercrombie. Yes. They fit incredible. They are built to last. Like these are legit jeans. I pay $78, $80 for them. They're better than like the 300 and 400 pair, you know, dollar pair of jeans that like everybody tells you to go buy. I'm going to go check it out. That's going to be like such a weird moment when I like go and buy something from Abercrombie. When you come back to LA, I actually want you to wait. I want you to come back to LA and then Sarah and I will go with you to the Abercrombie in Century City and have your first foray back into the brand with us, please. As long as we can go to like Auntie Anne's afterwards and get a pretzel. 100%. Girl, don't even tell me <laughs> twice. Like I, I will be there. Okay, so then you went on to design bags for, was it Michael Kors? Yeah. So I had like a bit of a hiatus. I went back to London for a couple of years. I thought I was homesick, but I realized I just hated Ohio. And I really, really wanted to go back to New York. I went back to London for a couple of years. I worked for River Island, which is like a real yes, a high street brand. Um, and I did handbags for them. And then I went back to New York in 2008 and landed a job at The Gap for a year. But it wasn't me. I wanted to like go back into handbags. I really loved my time at River Island. And so I got a job at Michael Kors. And I joined the team just as Michael was coming off of like Project Runway. And it was just super fun. And like, again, a moment in time to be at that brand. And part of my job at Michael Kors was to go to Seoul every 12 weeks. So for a long time, I was going to Seoul like five times a year. And that's really when I fell in love with beauty. 
isn't it so crazy like the path you take will take you to like another direction like for me my time in Seoul I like now to this day will say that is where I fell in love with beauty again and really felt like the urge to be in this space so that was 2010 2011 nobody in the U.S. had even seen a sheet mask (laughs) you know I would come back with like sheet masks from Seoul and people would be like why is this so weird like what that's so crazy and if you went to Sephora then I would say 60% of Sephora would be makeup. Mm. Totally. You know, 10% would be hair, 10% would be fragrance. I would say it'd be 10% skincare. It was just like an afterthought, you know, and to see the difference from then now is just like, wow, what an incredible transformation. Everybody's taking care of their skin and not just trying to cover it up with makeup. It's really cool. So did that affect like your approach to skincare? Like obviously, like you learned a lot from being in Seoul. I'm sure you did a lot of cool treatments. I did a lot of cool treatments. I was just really interested in this like taking care of skin approach that I'd always like loved skincare and I'd always loved taking care of my own personal skin. But it was really amazing to see these like very targeted routines that were were in place in Korea. And everybody's obsessed with their skin versus like makeup and covering it up. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. I went to, back to aesthetic school while I worked in fashion just because I wanted to learn more about skincare. I didn't know that I was going to be a facialist. I just wanted to go and learn. I thought maybe I'd work for a brand or maybe I'd go and work in editorial But I was like, wow, when I got there, I really loved the idea of treating people. And it wasn't just the treatment part that I was really obsessed with. It was the fact that I was meeting people. Because in fashion, I'd been sat at a desk for 15 years. I didn't really meet that many people. And so I loved working with people one-on-one, seeing improvement in their skin, seeing the confidence change within that person. I was like, wow, that's really special. Really love to do that. And so when I quit my job in fashion... I'd already been building my book for a year and a half on the side. I was like, okay, I'm going to open up my books and see if I can book 32 appointments in that September. And I booked 84. I was like, okay, I'm going to quit my fashion job. (laughs) So I quit. Then I've just threw myself into skincare full on. I mean, that's a sign if there ever was one. You had a goal and you completely surpassed it, like almost tripled the amount of people. That's incredible. Obviously, you're from South Wales. You mentioned that. And Sarah and I are really, you know, as beauty journalists, fascinated with different standards of beauty and how different parts of the world see beauty as compared to America. You have experience in both places. What would you say the biggest differentiating factor is between how Brits see themselves or like their idea of beauty versus how... Americans see it. And I'm curious, like, since you are a Brit, like, how do you see Americans and our obsession with beauty? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you know what? I'm going to side note this before going into the beauty that like, I've been here for 20 years. So I've been in the States almost half my life now. It's like kind of amazing to think about. I went back to London maybe three weeks ago. And I was like, really distressed by the size of the washing machines over there. Have you ever done laundry in the UK? No, no. It's psychotic. I I swear to God, like British people, they're living like Victorians. It's crazy. They're like these tiny energy efficient washing machines. And as a mom now, you know, I packed really light this time. So I said, don't worry, I'll just do laundry. And then like three days in, I was like, oh no, this is a terrible idea. It takes three hours to do laundry. They like all go really, really slowly. And then you have to hang it on like radiators to like 
dry it. Oh, it was really upsetting. Anyway, back to beauty. This is going to sound really shady, but it's not. It's an observation. But people in the UK wear way too much makeup. And they're still in that like vibe of covering the skin and having lots of base. So I can spot a Brit 300 meters away in New York when they're on vacation. I'm like, wow, so so interesting. Because like over here, I think everyone's like fresh, dewy, like clean looking skin, like this like clean look, you know? I don't think it's there in the UK yet. It's getting there. Like we do get like Americanized over time, like even Halloween. Like we never did Halloween when I was little. Everybody does Halloween in the UK now. Oh my gosh, that's so funny you say that because I was asking Refinery's Deputy Director, Jackie, who's based in London. I was like, what are you going to be for Halloween? Like, I always tell her she's like very posh spice to me. She has this like really, (laughs) she's always like with the fuck ass Bob Kirby. And she's like, we don't really do Halloween. It's Mm -hmm. mostly like children. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. Kirby, news to Kirby. Which is also really wild to me because like Brits love to dress up like a fancy dress party like tell me a brit who hasn't had a fancy dress party for like a birthday you know it's so funny to me i also want to say i feel like the british makeup influencers or beauty influencers like i have noticed that in that they love wearing makeup and a lot of like bronzer yes yes why do you think that is the obsession with the coverage i think because we're all just like pale we're all just pale i look great with a fake tan i have to say it's something i love i love going for like a like a good fake tan i think that's a very british thing a lot of tanner i feel kindred spirits with my brit friends and brit listeners because i have a little bit of a, a fake tan on right now me too i feel alive i, I feel like i have health when I'm just a little bit (laughs) glowy. Like sometimes I look in the mirror, I'm like, girl, and this might seem obvious to some of you listening, but I have melasma. So it helps kind of mask the melasma. It just blends everything. It kind of minimizes the appearance of those dark circles. So I understand the Brits on that level, like very deeply would love to be considered part of that group of people because pry the self-tanner out of my cold, dead hands, truly. Same. I look so much better with a bit of spray tan on. And again, it goes back to like my Victorian theory. Like we're all looking just a little bit pale, you know? And also my husband is Vietnamese. So I need to like have a little color to my face. Otherwise I look even worse, you know, because he's like gorgeous color. Oh my God. Right. Is there anything that you think Americans could learn from the Brits in terms of beauty and I actually, this just kind of popped in my head, but growing up, who was your ideal of beauty? I love this question. So even though I did a complete career change and went to beauty after fashion, I've always been around the beauty space because my parents always owned hair salons. So hair is actually very nostalgic for me. Like I'll always remember my mom, like doing my nan's perm, like in the kitchen and like the smell of satin lotion and stuff. And my nan was an icon when it came to beauty. She would use that Pond's cold cream every day, just a little lip, you know, and she looked great until she passed. Like her skin was beautiful. Even like my mom, like she doesn't have like a really extensive routine, but it is consistent. And staying out the sun, like I've always, sunscreen has been really, really part of my life since day one. And the same with my mom and, and my grandparents too. 
awesome. This is so pale. <laughs> we need it. <laughs> okay. As we mentioned at the top of the episode, you are quote unquote fashion's go-to facialist. Can you tell us, I know it wasn't your intention, but like how and why you think you got this reputation and you know, obviously you, you are also called celebrity esthetician. So like, how did you get into that world? Do you know, what's so funny is like when I meet certain like people from the press or certain celebrities or like an influencer, sometimes they're really shocked about like how unsensorial my facials are because it's not a luxurious experience. You know, if you want to go and have a beautiful experience, we have like tea and a robe and like there's definitely studios and spas that do that. But I always wanted to come from like more of a, okay, what do we do in between your derm appointments to get you the best results for your type of skin? And I think as soon as people realized that I was kind of specializing in more problematic skin, that's when I started getting the referrals. Because it's not just like an experience, which is really nice, you know, when you go for a facial and it's like a massage and it's like gorgeous experience. I'm not bringing that experience to you. I'm going to be real with you and say, okay, what are you eating? How are you washing your face? Show me how you do it. What makeup are you using? What supplements are you taking? And so it's more of a 360 approach on trying to get to the root cause of what's going on with your skin. And so I work with people a lot of the time off season. I'm not an awards like prepper, you know, like I did a Met Gala thing a few years ago and it was really fun, but it's like not my jam because I like working with people when they haven't got anywhere to be next month. You know, I want to get them. I'm going to do your extractions. I'm going to do a peel. We're going to do a laser. And so we're working kind of backwards before the event versus the other way around. And in terms of, you know, the reference, like having like celebrity clients and stuff, honestly, I don't know how it happened. Like I'll get like a reference and then they'll be like, oh, so-and-so sent me. I'm like, okay, cool. That's really nice. But it's kind of low key because again, I'm dealing with like really problematic skin. So it's not like people are, kind of advertising that they're coming to me I see people like Loki which is fun I like I like being being in everybody's black book but nobody knows who I am <laughs> yeah because it's it's the thing of I have to present a certain way and I'm not trying to advertise the fact that I am dealing with this particular skin situation especially because some of them may have contracts that they are upholding and things of that nature you like you said you really have a hold on problematic skin. I'm curious, what made you passionate about that? I mean, obviously, as an esthetician, you care about skin. But, you know, there's some people that are really, really focused on melasma. There are some people that are focused on TMJ and things like that. Why acne? I think acne is like such a mystical, crazy skin condition that we've all been educated into a corner about for one. And I think that there's so much information online. We're all an expert and yet none of us have got a hold on it. And I think so satisfying for me as a provider to see the change in confidence of like clearing someone up from having like really inflammatory, really miserable acne, which is painful. You know, it's not just like mentally painful, it's physically painful. And your face is the first thing you present to the world and who you are. And so like, I'll have clients who are like lawyers who are like standing up in court and they've got like acne, like teenage acne, and they want me to help them get that. Like that for me is so satisfying as a, as a facialist to be able to help people like that. And to also show them that it's not 
difficult, you know, we can get a grasp on it. And how do we put you on a simple solution for this problematic skin type? And that's actually the tagline of the line, because simple solutions for problematic skin, it doesn't have to be hard. And I think there's so many ingredients out there and so many experts in it, but it's about finding the right, the right routine for you, for your own skin type, because everybody's different. And so that's why I decided to specialize in acne. What's the most common culprit for acne amongst your clients? And if you don't mind, do you have a specific demo that typically comes in to see you? I would say my demographic is around 25 to 35, but it always surprises me. Now what we've realized is because I have a lot of estheticians who work at the studio as well. I have a team and they're amazing. So I'll always be like, how's everything going? Like who, who's coming in? And they'll be like, oh, now the moms are now bringing in their teenagers because they're seeing the results. We have a, a younger clientele now, which is cool. But yeah, I would say 25 to 35 is, is our demographic. And so interesting to me, like women in particular, the hormonal acne, you know, like our cycles are meant to be imbalanced. And I think that's something that I'm always like stressing to people is that you're not looking for hormone balancing. Our hormones are meant to be imbalanced. But it's about how we deal with our skin in certain times of the month and how do we work with our bodies to help get the skin to a point where it's happy, you know? Birth control is a nightmare and it's like a necessary evil and it's amazing that we have it in this world, but it will mess your skin up if you're not aware of how it works with your skin. People change birth controls really fast and easily, I feel like. I think it's really important to be aware of that kind of stuff. Seed oils are huge. Like everybody's obsessed with oat milk. It's full of seed oils, guys. That's going to be a hormonal influence on your skin. Oh my God. Stop the phone. It's true. Hold on. This is life-changing for me. Are you drinking too much oat milk? So I fully went full oat milk. And I was wondering why I was getting such like deep under the skin pimples like consistently. And like I've had them before, but like maybe during that time of the month, but not as consistently. I recently went to just, and maybe this is even worse, but whatever, just straight whole milk, like no plant-based, just regular milk. And I swear, I cannot tell you, like since I've done that, I have not had an underground, like deep, painful, like cystic pimple. Like I'm breaking out a little bit, but like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, where you're like, oh my God, I want to get this, but it won't come to a head. It won't, it just is mm -hmm. there. I think it's the milk. You know, you've got to think about this, right? If you're having like one to two coffees a day and you're just putting a splash of regular milk in it, I don't think that's causing cystic acne. I think cystic acne with dairy as a direct relation is when people are drinking like tons of milk. They're having cereal with milk. They're having ice cream. They're having a lot of cheese. They're having yogurt. Lots of dairy, right? But everything in moderation. I think if you're just having a splash of it in your coffee, I think it's fine. I drink whole milk, but it's purely because I'm lazy and my kids drink it. So I'm like, whatever, I'm going to drink it too. Oh my God, that's my excuse too. I literally it. I was like, it's expensive to buy all the different milks. And I'm actually like, I kind of like this cow milk. It tastes good. Yeah, me too. I'm like back to basics, you know? Straight up organic cow milk. Like what up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Moo, right? Moo. Moo. <laughs> okay, greens powders. Let's talk about greens powders. Do you remember there was a very famous, well, very popular greens powder that did a huge, huge campaign last year and sent it to all the fitness influencers? 
I think I know what you're talking about. You know, that greens powder is like 99.9% spirulina. And spirulina is algae and algae will break you out. And so what I found was within that three months of that giant press campaign they did, I had about 10 fitness influencers coming to me and being like, I'm breaking out like crazy. What's happening? I was like, did anything change in your diet? Oh, we added a greens powder. Okay, well, that's probably why. And so I try to teach people that it's not just dairy that can be inflammatory to the skin. It's lots of different things. So algae is one. Peanut butter is a huge one. America is obsessed with peanut butter. It's amazing to me. <laughs> when I, Stupid when I first, Americans. No. When I first moved to the States, I used to tell my mom there were five flavors of America. Orange cheese, peanut butter, grape. Grape is not a flavor in the UK. What else is it? Ketchup? <laughs> no, ketchup. Ketchup is universal. It was like cinnamony, like apple cinnamony. And that's all I can remember right now. But it was funny because like peanut butter is like a big thing over here and it's androgenic. So it'll increase your oil production if you eat a lot of it. <laughs> that is hilarious <laughs> to me. No, literally, I had this exact conversation when I was in Berlin with Cetaphil. One of the girls is Parisian and she did a like foreign exchange situation where she came over here and was in Indiana for two weeks. And apparently there's bread in Europe that's called American bread. And it's just like the slices of white bread. And then she was like, and everybody's obsessed with peanut butter. And I was like, so perplexed by this. And I'm like, oh my God, this is hilarious. This is so funny. That's too funny. And Sophie, you actually were one of the experts on a story that we did on Refinery recently about algae and mm, how yeah. it is such a huge culprit. And people don't know that that's probably what's causing their acne because algae is in like so many products right now. Right. I was going to say, Sophie, when you said that, I was like, there are like whole brands based around algae. Mm-hmm. And like, again, like comedogenic is such a loaded word, right? And I know it. Everybody's like, well, comedogenic, you can't just call an ingredient comedogenic, which is true. It is true. And I do think that there's nuance in the way that people formulate things and, and the way that you apply them to the skin. But ultimately, when I first start working with somebody, again, it's like the path of least resistance, right? Like, let's take all the comedogenic ingredients out of your routine. Let's start from scratch. And then we can slowly add things in as you're clearing. And if it breaks you out, we know it's that instead of it like being this conundrum of what's breaking you out. For algae, though, is it just ingesting algae or is it also topically? I think it's topical, too. What is it about it? So algae is when you have too much iodine in the body, it's excreted through the pores and it's very inflammatory. So as a result, you know, if you take like a lot of like, for example, biotin, spirulina is algae, seaweed and the usual like things you think of when you think about algae. CMOS, all the TikTok girlies on the CMOS, it's algae. If you keep on eating it, you're going to get inflammation within the pores and it's going to excrete and cause irritation. I was just watching a video of Kristen Cavallari, like scooping the sea moss in her mouth, like giant heap of it. It's really slimy. I mean, I know people love it. I mean, it's in those Erewhon smoothies. Makes me barf. <laughs> Makes me barf. Okay, so let's talk about, since, you know, we're talking about problematic skin, acne, let's talk about mandelic acid and your love for this ingredient and why you decided to build your first product around it. How did you discover it? Why do you love recommending it to people so much? And for the record, Kirby and I have talked about this product and we both love it so much. We love this product. 
So one of my big pushes when I first start working with someone with acne is that I want to get them to exfoliate regularly. And the reason why is most acne is caused by an overshedding of skin cells. And that affects 40% of the population. You know, you can have this abundance of dead skin cells. And if you don't get them shifting and give your body a little push to get rid of them, it won't break you out, but it kind of sets the wheels in motion for things to go wrong. When you have a congested skin pore with dead skin cells and they're on the surface, when your oil production goes higher or lower because of hormones or stress or what you eat or where you live, that oil in turn will get congested with that dead skin and cause impactions within the pore, a lot of congestion, but most importantly, it's a food source for bacteria. So C. acnes bacteria's favorite thing to eat is dead skin and oil, gets in the pore, all you can eat buffet, causes inflammation and breakouts. So if you go back to square one, which is the overshedding of skin cells, exfoliation is really important. The problem is, is that most exfoliators are too strong for daily use. And so if you start using something every single day and you get an irritated, your barrier feels compromised, that in turn then can cause more breakouts. So I wanted to develop a really, really gentle daily exfoliator that was an AHA. And AHAs are different to BHAs, as you know, because they dissolve the bonds between dead skin and healthy skin underneath. It gets rid of dead skin cells, whereas a BHA cleans within the pore. And it's more suited to more oilier skin types. So I wanted something which was really, really universal, everybody could use, that's why I chose Mandelic. It's a large molecule size AHA. It sits on the surface. It doesn't go straight into the, the deep layers of the skin, like a lactic or glycolic, which is irritating. And it also brightens the skin. It's also antibacterial. So it's kind of the perfect acid for someone dealing with problematic skin. And you can use it every day, which is really important in my kind of philosophy of skin clearing. I wonder if this ingredient is going to really take off in 2024, because We've been starting to see it more in products, even to the point where Sephora will, in the title of a product, add an ingredient name, in this case, mandelic acid, because they can tell people are searching for it. It's definitely not a part of the product name, but right. they're optimizing for search engines. So I'm curious because I feel like any expert I speak to that really understands acne cannot sing the praises of this ingredient enough. But I feel like the general public is still really stuck on salicylic acid and then AHAs like glycolic. Right. Like that's like immediately where their brain goes when it comes to acne. Do you know so interesting? I've been asked this question a lot, being like, why has a mandelic had its moment in the sun? And I think it comes down to us all being so obsessed with immediate results. And I think that we're living in a time where like before and afters of I use this product for three days and I feel amazing. Like that's not how Mandalic works. So I tell people you want to really work with a routine for around 12 to 16 weeks to see if you're seeing a result with it. That's a long time. Yeah. And what tends to happen is, is that progress is not linear. So you like get really great skin and then six weeks later, you might have a monster breakout. It's really normal. And then what happens is, is that someone then will go, oh, I need to put something else in my routine to get rid of this, you know? And then all of a sudden they're like building up that routine to be something that it wasn't in the first place. So I'm always like, stick to the plan, everyone. Let's like see this through. Mandelic every single day can also be then paired with other actives to get you to where you want to be. So it's about choosing your own adventure with it, but she plays really, really well with others. So that daily exfoliation can be really helpful if you're on a retinol routine, if you're on an acne clearing routine, if you're on just like a fine line reducing routine, it can be worked with in a lot of different ways. 
that Mandy, she knows what she's doing, plays well with others. Oh my God, Mandy. Mandy, girl, we love you, boo. (laughs) What a sweetheart. I'm seeing some merch coming on from that Mandy. Yes. Love my Mandy. (laughs) It's like a handshake, like Mandy, me, BFFs. And then you'll have some Mandy Moore, the OOs playing in the background. Heaven. (laughs) Love, love. Before we get into this last question, I wanted to ask you actually about your logo, which I love (laughs) so much. So the logo is Sock and Buskin. And if you are not familiar with that, they're the drama masks or known as the theatrical masks. They're ancient symbols of comedy and tragedy, except yours are sheet masks, which (laughs) is just so genius. Why does that represent your brand? You know, it was actually the logo of the studio before the brand. And it was something that I just made up when I first opened the studio. I wanted something fun. And I am dramatic. I like to be dramatic. And so I was like, this is like ultimately who I am as a person, you know? And then the the sheet mask was just a nod to like my love for them. What are your favorites? Uh, You know, I really love Dr. Perricone. Have you ever used the cold plasma sheet mask? No. I don't think so. Heaven sent. It's really, really nice. Super soothing. Great. After a flight, I came back from LA on Saturday and just lay on the couch with one on. I like the the one, one, one skin ones. They're great. Is that how you say it? One, one, one. Yeah, one, one, one. I always want to say 311 for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who sings Santeria? That's sublime. No, 311 is amber is the color of your energy. That's 311. Oh, right, 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 right. Wow. We're just all over the place. And by the way, environmentalists, Sarah and I on this podcast, we advocate for taking care of our planet. Me too, me too. We all advocate for this because there's no nuance anymore. So we have to say these things. <laughs> we, we have to. Okay, so Sophie. Nice ice. I love this product, A. B, it's so genius. I'm so sad that I didn't actually get to try it after I got microneedled because I was trying a different product. You can do microneedling in New York, right? Yes. I work for a dermatologist in New York. We don't do it at my studio. I work at a derm center. So once a week, I work at a dermatology clinic, and that's where I do my more advanced treatments. Got it. Okay, because in when you come visit us in L.A., You can't administer any of those things here. So in New York, you do microneedling. Can you tell us a little bit about why you like microneedling in general? And then tell us about Nice Ice. Great name, by the way, but would love to learn more about it. You know, microneedling is like one of my favorite advanced treatments, like out of everything. Like I think a really gold standard microneedling treatment is with PRP. You take a blood draw, you separate that plasma, and then you microneedle it back into the face. It's full of growth factors. It's going to give you that beautiful illumination. And it's also long game anti-aging. So I think it's a great treatment to do. I try and do it every couple of months on myself. And I much prefer it to radio frequency microneedling. That's my stance, my opinion. You know, I've had some radio frequency microneedling and I was kind of shocked on how much I didn't like it. I like laser treatments too. I think they can be great. And when I'm working with someone with acne scarring, a lot of the time I'll do a a combination of those together. We might do Fraxel, we might do Clear and Brilliant, but then we'll also combine it with peels and microneedling and trying to see, choose our own adventure with this scar um, type as well. But they can be really beneficial, smoothing texture, getting rid of pigmentation. I love microneedling. So then here comes Nice Ice. Here comes Nice Ice. It's almost like a niche product in a way, which I think is like a really interesting route to go. You know, 
In my studio, I've always stood behind icing as a really helpful tool in reducing inflammation with people with breakouts. And it gives someone who's a picker something to do. So I will target, if you're a picker, I'll say to you, okay, instead of picking, you're going to take an ice cube and you're going to rub it on your skin for one to two minutes. And it's going to bring down the inflammation. It's also going to bring down the heat in the skin. And heat is so influential to pigmentation, people don't even realize. If you have melasma, you've got to keep that skin cool. If you have inflammation, you want to bring down the heat in that inflammation. And I know there's a lot of controversy around icing. People are like, oh, it's, it's going to break your capillaries. If you're doing it one to two minutes, you're not going to do that. You just keep the ice moving. You don't want to hold it in place. Totally. This is where nice ice came in because I would always be sat at home drinking a martini after work. Not that I drink them often, but you know, I would sit there and I'd say, wouldn't it be amazing if you could have active ingredients in that ice cube? And after much going back and forth when we were developing the line, first of all, we were going to do it as like a bottle that you could pour out yourself. But the freeze thaw testing that went into this product to make sure that it was sanitized and stable, nothing can compare. You can't just pour it into an ice cube tray and get the same result. So we developed Nice Ice. I was going to like food and beverage factories <laughs> trying to get it filled because the tooling on those little pods was so unique. But I found a factory who could fill it and it's great. It's a really multifunctional product. You can use it post-treatment. You can use it if you have any kind of inflammation. So if your skin is hot from the beach or you have an inflamed hormonal breakout or you're pregnant and you want to just rub something on your body because you're hot. <laughs> but also we found a lot of makeup artists are using it pre-makeup application too to really increase circulation to the skin. We've just started working with derms who are doing it post-Botox and lasers and injectables. So it's really exciting. What's in it, Sophie? So it's individually wrapped 12 parts of this um, treatment. And the key ingredients are niacinamide, ashwagandha, green tea extract, and glycerin. So you're really helping hydrate the skin, but also bring down redness and irritation with those anti-inflammatories. And this is, I think, a trend that we're going to start seeing way more of in 2024, which are post-treatment products. Obviously, you can use these without a treatment, but I think that now that the Glamgelinos have heard about them, <laughs> they're going to want to get their hands on these because we're getting more treatments these days. We're trying things and, and you know, we're seeing things online. We're seeing things on social media and deciding, oh, I want to try microneedling. I want to try this laser. I want to try whatever. I want to go get Botox for the first time, whatever it is. And these are like a nice compliment to that. We just did a really great activation with Formula Fig last week out in West Hollywood. It was so fun. Have you been there yet? Yes, I love Formula Fig. It's fabulous. So cute, right? And yeah, we did like a big masterclass. We were showing people how to use them. But then also the Botox doctor was using them post-injections on their clients. So yeah, it's really exciting. That's amazing. Such a genius product. We can't wait to see what else you have in store for us. But thank you so much for taking time to come on. Where can the Glams find you? Where can we buy the products? And also where can we, maybe if we're in New York, book a facial with you? Facials can be booked through sophieparrot.com. We have a team of six awesome estheticians at the studio. And then the product line is sophieparrotface.com. And that's our Instagram too. You can check out, we do a lot of like tutorials and like how to use the products with routines that you might already have in place. All right, that's it. Thank you everyone for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with the week's most buzzy beauty news. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, 
Be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website, glossangelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. You can follow us, your hosts. I'm Sarah Tan, that's S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.